Well, good morning. It's so good to be with you here this morning. And uh, first thing I want to say is a big thank you to here in Chapel. You've been with us ever since the beginning of our missionary adventure. You've prayed for us. You've supported us. We've learned so much from you. We just want to say a huge thank you. This isn't where we like to be up in front of people, but it's what the Lord has for us this morning. So let's just pray, and then we'll get started. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your great love. We thank you, Father, for how you are building your church around this world. Father, we thank you that we can be a small part of that, and you allow us that. Lord, what a privilege it is. Father, I pray that our words that we speak this morning will be honoring and glorifying to you. We just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're both going to share a little bit today, and he asked me to go first. So, I was listening to um, Acts the other day on my Bible, Acts chapter 2, verse 11, where it says, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. <clears throat> that was a phrase that stood out to me. It just popped off the page. What were they telling? What were they saying in all those different languages? The mighty works of God. And I thought to myself, that's what we need to share today, the mighty works of God. And uh, so that's what we're going to attempt, a little bit anyway. Um, however, before I do that, I probably should give a little bit of an introduction. Now, most of you know us pretty well, or some of you do, but for those who don't know us as well, I'm going to kind of start at the beginning, so for you you who do know us well, this will be a rerun, and I apologize for that. <clears throat> okay, here we go. Brief bio. I'm going to try and keep it brief. <laughs> we both grew up in Christian homes in Huron County on dairy farms. Started dating in high school. Dave went to Godrich, I went to Clinton. We got married fairly young. We started farming on the Hoover Line, just north of James and Marilyn Campbell's farm. We had five girls in our first seven years of marriage. We worked with the youth, taught Sunday school, and the day was on the board in the early days of Huron Chapel when it was just getting started. We milked cows, and Dave worked off the farm as well at some different construction jobs. And then God started nudging us towards missions. A few of you might remember when we made the decision to sell the farm and go into missionary training way back in 1990. Before we made that choice, we had a lot of fears and excuses why it didn't make any sense for us to quit farming and be missionaries. Farming was all we knew. We didn't know anything about missionary work. However, when we eventually quit making excuses and decided to go, God took it from there. We didn't really do anything. We just said, we're going to be missionaries, we're going to sell our farm, and the next thing we knew, our farm was sold. We didn't advertise it in real estate, we didn't do anything, we didn't put a sign out, we didn't put it in the paper, 
We just told people and our farm was sold. So we were pretty confident we were on the right path, that God was opening doors left, right, and center for us to keep going forward. And we just kept walking through those doors and he led us. In 1993, we arrived in P&G and we weren't doing what we thought we would be doing. I mean, we sort of were. We were learning the trade language of pidgin English. But we also learned pretty quick that there was something else needed on the field besides missionaries who teach and preach and translate, and that was something called support missionaries. We didn't know anything about that when we went through the training, and uh, we didn't hear a lot about that in the training. We knew about pilots and teachers and medical, but we didn't know about some of the other support ministries that were needed. So we arrived in Moprick for our orientation, and one of the very first things the leadership there asked Dave to do was to pour some sidewalks because conference was coming up, and it, they get about 400 inches of rain in a year, so the lawn got nothing but a mud hole. So they wanted some sidewalks for conference coming up in March. And Dave had worked for uh, a company that poured footings for Royal Homes, and so sidewalks was like a breeze. And they got that done pretty quick. And then the next thing they asked them to do was, would you fly into Iteti? They need to replace the clutch in their Massey 135 that they used to uh, maintain the airstrip. Well, on our farm, we had a Massey 165, and Dave had replaced the clutch two times in that. Once, apparently, was my fault. Something <laughs> about a two-stage clutch and burning, and I don't know what all, but <laughs> anyway... He had replaced it twice, so he was a little familiar with replacing clutches in that sort of tractor. After that, they just kept asking him to do other things, like go and run the sawmill and drive the barge to deliver the lumber that the sawmill cut up and down the Sepik River and its tributaries, and one thing after another. And uh, where am I? I can just keep going on and I need to stop rambling, right? So, um, anyway, after our first term, oh, we, they asked us, sorry, Dave was having a little bit of an uneasy feeling when we were heading into Pukapaki. We had joined a team with one other couple and we were going to open up a new work called Pukapaki. And Dave was not having peace about going in there and just learning language and culture when there was so much that needed doing. We needed to build houses, we needed an airstrip, we needed supplies, we needed all kinds of things. And the other fellow on the team just loved language and loved teaching, and Dave didn't. And so he said, how be, he went to the leadership and said, how be, I do all the support work and he does the language. And they thought that was a great idea, actually. They said, we wondered when you might come to that conclusion that maybe you're a little more suited to support work. And so that's kind of where that led. We went into Pukapaki. We were so thankful for those four and a half years we had living and working on a team in there with two other couples. To uh, They learned the language and the culture. Dave uh, did everything else, um, supply runs and whatever needed doing to keep that team functioning. And then the gospel was presented in 97, and we came home for a furlough 
And when we went back to Papua New Guinea, they asked us to move out of Pukapaki and move to Wewak to help out there on the support center, just kind of overseeing things and continue with his ministry of house building and barge and sawmill and all of that, but do it from, from Wewak where the airplane was um, situated and that kind of a thing. So that's what happened. So our years in PNG started off, we thought we were going to teach and learn language and translate. That's why we sold the farm. That's what we went to do. But we pretty soon found out that wasn't what God had us to do. Even though that was our heart, but it wasn't how he gifted us. And uh, so we learned to just keep walking in whatever he had for us and it ended up being such a variety of work from things like just running to town and, and uh, taking supplies to the airport or picking somebody up at the airport or taking a sick person from the tribe into the hospital and just paying bills and doing the banking and um, flying into remote locations to fix a generator or flying in to talk to the tribal leaders who were holding a plane hostage one time. They had to get another plane down to fly Dave in because the other plane was in the tribe and the tribe had held it hostage and wasn't going to let it take off. And they were demanding money and all kinds of things. And Dave had to fly, fly in there and de-escalate that situation and try and um, make peace. All kinds of different things we got to do. But all things that God had prepared us for, whether that was our time in Pukapaki, um, knowing what PNG was cult culture was like and working with the people there, or whether that was our time on the farm, or our time that Dave had working off the farm, we, or our training. But God prepared us and prepared us well for um, the time and what he had for us to do in PNG. Now, some of you might remember about a year ago, Dave was coming to church with a cane and using a walker. I don't know how many of you remember seeing him like that. He's not like that now because he got a hip replaced. But at the time, the doctor told us it's bursitis. And we were like, what's bursitis? Never heard of it before. And they said, well, bursitis is when your bursa becomes inflamed. And we're like, a bursa. Never heard of that either. What on earth is a bursa? A bursa is a small fluid-filled sac that reduces the friction between moving parts in your body's joints. Apparently, there's 150 of those little sacs all over our body's major joints. Who knew that? Uh, Krista read for us this morning from 1 Corinthians 12 about the body of Christ, that we're one body and there are many parts. We got thinking the other day that the work that we did in P&G, the support work of just doing what was needed to keep the missionaries in the tribe, learning language, learning culture, being able to translate and teach and disciple, a lot of those, a lot of stuff that we did could be compared to a bursa. Now let's get back to the mighty works of God. Deb's going to share three things this morning. So we only chose three because you could never count all the mighty works of God, can we? But 
the three that stood out to us, and uh, the first one is how God is building his church. Now, he's building his church around the world, but we are more familiar with what has happened in P&G because we spent most of our 30 years in P&G. And so that's what I want to share with you this morning. And I have a list of names of churches or places that there are now believers in P&G because of the body of Christ, because of God's working through the body in P&G. So I'm going to read that list for you. And I want to make sure that I speak clearly. So, hmm. Okay. Amdu, Wabaku, Sino, Siawi, Iteri, Nemo, Nakwe, Sodomi, Pei, Pukapaki, Bahinimo, Iwam, Owaninga, Besorio, Hewa, Malamanda, Mariama, Yembi Yembi, BM, Tobo, Iski, Wantikia, Mibu, Dinungat, Manam, Ivanga, Tanguat, Kaje, Inapang, Itutang, Kumon, Kafe, Menya, Papatar, Malayu, Tigat, Mengen, Madak, Malibining, Nakanai, Kol, Siar, Mok, Akalet, Kaolong, Kaol, Loko, Asengseng, Ata, Dome, Ilambari, Gende, Aziana, Uzrampia, Gimi, Bena, Northwagi, Katagu, Bali, Wake, Ama, Paul, Lucy, Abalam, Sina Sina, Simbari, Lavangai, Yagaria, Manseng, Mu, Lamogai, Fore, Solong. That's over 70 places. Praise God. Praise God. We didn't do it, but the body of Christ working together. People in every one of these places know Jesus and love him. And it reminded me of that verse in Matthew where it says, in the gospel, the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a testament unto all the nations, and then the end shall come. Some of us think the end's coming a little sooner, but... Well, not before that. <laughs> the Bible says that it will be preached in all the earth. And it is being. We praise God for that. So a second mighty work of God I want to just share this morning. And I know we've mentioned this probably every time we speak. Because it was one of those really big hurdles for us to get over when God called us to be missionaries. And that was how on earth are we going to live what are we going to do? We don't get a paycheck. This is a faith mission. And I just want to praise him for his abundant provision over 30 years. Um, when we look back over 30 years, God has provided everything. But I want to just point out the one thing that stood out above all. Well, not above all, but it's one example and that's, we thought, let's uh, sit down and just count how many tickets have we bought over the last 30 years to fly back and forth to P&G. So 1993, seven, 1997, seven, 1998, seven, 1999, five, 2006, 2001, four, 2002, four, 2003, five, and on and on it goes. 
I'm not even sure we remember all of those because some of those years we were back and forth in the same year and most of them were round trip tickets but when we counted everything up we counted over 50 round trip tickets back and forth to P&G. That's quarter of a million dollars plus and that's just the tickets. That's not everything else he provided and he has provided so abundantly. It was, like I said, one of our major concerns, one of the things that held us back. But God has been so faithful and provided beyond what we could ask or think. And that verse, where is it? There it is. In Philippians 4, verse 19, where he says, And my God will supply your every need according to his riches in glory in Jesus Christ. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Amen. Praise God. The third mighty work of God that I want to share with you this morning is how he has graciously healed me. In December, four years ago, I found out that I had a brain tumor. It was diagnosed as a grade four cancerous tumor called a gliosarcoma. They told, it, told us that it was not curable. <coughs> that the median survival time was 18 months. They told us that it was fatal, that, um, that that was almost four years ago now. There is absolutely no medical explanation for this, the, for this, the fact that I'm still here and talking to you, standing on two feet. There's no medical explanation for that. We asked you to pray in our spring prayer letter specifically, and this just thrilled my heart so much, how God answered. Dave wrote this in, in the spring, I think it was maybe April, and he said, please pray with us that the doctors will stand amazed at how the Lord is sustaining her and healing her body. Lord Jesus, show your mighty hand in Deborah that doctors will not be able to credit any of her healing to science and modern medicine. I had an MRI in August, and on the phone call follow-up, um, he asked me lots of questions, and I answered. And then he said, well, I certainly can't take credit for any of this. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Isn't our God amazing? He is awesome. Only Jesus. Praise God. <clears throat> a good friend of ours, um, we'll call him Mark because that's what his name is, he would always greet his friends by saying, hey, dirt. Use that one? All right. That one's off. He would always greet people by saying, hey, dirt. And I thought, wow, that's quite a way to greet your friend, call him dirt. And then I got thinking, you know, we came from dirt. Our bodies are going to return to dirt. And sadly, the way we live before God often shows that we are just dirt, the way we treat God. Today, I'm going to compare us to tools. I wouldn't recommend you start calling people a tool because there's a lot of negative um, 
connotations around that, but there's good example with tools. So today, I've bought, brought with me three tools. Okay? I brought a stone axe. I don't think I'd want to use this. It's, uh, it's a little bit sharp, but not real sharp. They use this, they used this every day. They'd use it for clearing house sites, cutting trees down. Um, they would cut the sago palm tree down, and then they would have to split it lengthwise to be able to get the pulp out of the tree. They would hollow out a tree to make a canoe. So this tool was used for shelter, food, and transportation. Well, I'm, by the way, this tool, mostly used by the men. And no longer used today, thank goodness, we have steel axes and chainsaws. This tool here is used pretty much exclusively by the women. It's used pretty much every day and it's used for food preparation. So remember that tree I said that they cut down? Uh, the sago, just hang on to it. The sago palm, it's a tree that gets oh, about that big around. The men cut it down, they split it. Then the ladies take this and they beat on it. And they beat, beat the fibrous inside of the tree to a pulp. And then they take that put it in water in a trough and with a screen on it, and they're collecting the starch out of it. Okay, then they take that starch and it dries and then they fry it or boil it and they make a pudding or they make pancakes out of it. No taste in it at all, it's just starch. But it's a lot of hard work and hard way to get your starch. I think it's easier to go and buy some potatoes and macaroni or whatever. Anyway, um, one more. Anybody know what this is? Hey, it's a rock. <laughs> I found it when we were building the airstrip, but this rock was made to sharpen the stone axe. If you, as you can see, you probably can't see, but there's perfect contours in the front of that. This stone fits perfectly in that. And that's what they would use to sharpen that. You would not use that for anything else or you're gonna ruin that contour and you're not gonna get a real nice edge on this here. All these, all these tools were made for a purpose, to help with the things that were needed to sustain life, food, shelter, and transportation. Each had their own job to do. We, each of us, every man, woman, child, teenager, we have one purpose, and that's to worship and glorify God. Okay, so as we see that 
these tools were designed to be able to fulfill the purpose um, that the owner needed it for. Whereas, rather, it was for cutting, smashing, or sharpening. They all had their own purpose. And God has created each one of us with unique gifts and abilities, and he gives us all experiences to prepare us for what he has for us. Remember back when we were struggling um, to make decision whether we should leave the farm? One of the problems was I don't like speaking up front. I like being behind the scenes. I hate book work. And, you know, I thought that's what I had to do. And that kept us for a long time from making a decision. But that's not what God had for us. But it, we had to step out and do that, to step out and make ourselves available. We can do nothing in ourselves. It is the Father that does the work through us. You know, he really doesn't need us, but he has chosen to let us be a part of what he is doing. Unlike those tools, they will just sit there and do nothing until the owner picks them up and puts them at you at work. They don't have a choice whether they get picked up or not. They may sit there and rot and do nothing. But God has given us a choice. He is... God has made it... Get, God has given us the opportunity to choose whether we're going to make ourselves available for him to use or not to use. If we will step out, he will lead us, equip us, and allow us to be a part of what he is doing. It may not be in the way we first thought, like Deb and I thought when we were working uh, to step out. We thought we had to translate and teach. But God allowed us to be like that bursa. When we make ourselves available and start moving to do what he has for us, then he will guide us, equip us, sustain us, and provide, and work through us to accomplish his purpose, to glorify the Father. Not everyone is to go overseas. Most will stay in their home and in their home church where they are needed. Either way, you have to choose to make yourself available, to be a functioning part of the body. When you choose to make yourself available, sit back and see him work. He will lead, he will equip, he will provide for all your needs, and he will do the working, and you get a front row seat in seeing the mighty works of God. Apart from God, we are like those tools. We sit there, but in the Father's hands, he is glorified. So, I want to be a tool ready for the Father's use.